0: Everyone, welcome to Poetry Says. I'm Alice. So, a couple of weeks into starting this podcast, I got a really lovely email from a listener who said that he enjoys listening to the podcast while walking his dog, which I thought was just such a lovely thing. And when I said, "Are there any poets you want me to check out and try and tackle on the podcast?" he said, "Check out Olena Kalitiak Davis and her book." the poem she didn't write, and I thought, this is great. I'll figure out who that is. I will totally tackle that. No worries. And then I started researching this poet, and I thought, wow, okay. I don't know if I'm ready for this. I'm trying not to use the word intimidated anymore on the podcast because I don't think poetry should ever be about being afraid, but I am in awe of this particular poet. I've been looking around for ways to contact Elena online, not having a great deal of luck, but if you're listening Elena, you're pretty amazing, pretty amazing. So I also wanted to record this episode as a bit of a follow on to my episode on getting into poetry, just to use this as an example of what the process is like if there is such a thing of finding a poet and trying to approach work that you don't immediately understand and what the steps might be if, if we could, if we could put steps around this process, what those steps might be to kind of getting comfortable with a new poet. So I'll walk you through what I did with Elena's work and perhaps that'll be useful to people who are diving into the work of new poets. So, to start off my research, I read the article that this listener sent me in the New Yorker, which is called You and Me Both. And a couple of paragraphs in, I think it really encapsulates the thrust of Davis's work. It says Poets live casually among masterpieces of their art. The volume of Stevens propping up the window, the translation of Catullus serving as a coaster, the waterlogged Dickinson. These are features of any writer's environment. And the thought of joining them both inspires and blocks. And so Davis's submissions to the canon are anti-submissions. I think Davis is always grappling with this question. And it's something that every writer, every creator probably thinks about at one time or another. How do you make something when you are creating in the shadow of people who've said it all? Who've done it all better than you? Why do you keep doing it? You know, what's the point, I suppose? And the writer goes on to say Davis's professed unworthiness is one of many tricky manifestations of her ambition. She is the rare poet who has made underproduction an aspect of her glamour. Since 1997, she has published only two full length books and a chapbook. The poems can be tawdry, but any art so fixated on its imperfections comes off as weirdly pure. Maybe some of this is geographical. Poets on the usual coasts, US coasts, can keep themselves busy inside the Panopticon, never far from a bar reading or a teaching gig. Davis, who was born in 1963 in Detroit to Ukrainian parents, has for years lived in and around Anchorage, Alaska, where she works as an attorney. From the evidence of her poems, she's a single mother who drives or once drove a 1995 red Toyota 4Runner with a racing stripe listens to loud Dylan on the way to pick up her kids, falls in and out of love, and above all, reads. So just to give you a little taste of the kind of thing that Davis writes, I'll give you just a few lines from a poem that was published in the poem she didn't write in other poems, which came out from Copper Canyon Press in 2014. And this one's called, I had a ski-masked rapist in my house. And fair warning, from this point on, there's going to be a whole bunch of swearing, because that's how she writes. No, I'm not kidding you. No, I'm not mad at him. No, that motherfucker wrestled me down like a motherfucking angel. So that's just three lines, but God, how much is in there already? She uses brackets a lot, she uses a lot of um, punctuation to expand and double her meaning. So in that first line, no I'm not kidding you, the you is bracketed. No I'm not mad, at him, at him is bracketed. It's almost as if she's saying, look these are phrases I thought about including and I was going to cut them out but actually I'm just going to leave them in, I'll put them in parentheses and you can decide whether you want them or not she really treats you as a reader very much as if you're making the poem alongside her you're you're doing the work as much as she is and I really like that I love being treated with intelligence as a reader I don't like all decisions being made for me so yeah that's one of the really fun things about reading this work And another thing that I really enjoy is that she talks directly to you. She doesn't talk around the thing. So in the acknowledgements and the dedication to the poem she didn't write, she turns even that into a poem itself. And she says, thanks to all who helped write Foundations, Guggenheim and Rasmussen, and publish these poems, which unlike everything else I ever and always and endlessly do are actually not for Gobi and Liana. I think Gobi and Liana are actually her daughters. And you would expect a poet to dedicate a book to maybe a partner or family members. But I love that she's saying, actually, you know what? I've I've dedicated a lot to my family and uh, this book is not for them. She's always doing that kind of thing, it seems. She's always taking it and, and just twisting things in a new direction. And particularly in the title poem, The poem she didn't write. It's just a gigantic middle finger to the poetry establishment. Here's a couple of lines from it. The poem was somebody's thesis and somebody else's dumbest joke. It made literary terms like and obsolete. It made literary theories like and sound stupider than ever. So she's got absolutely no patience for people sitting around wanking on about poetry so she would probably hate this podcast um which is totally fair enough yeah I like that she's undermining things I think that's that's really fun I think there's room for a lot more fun in poetry in general but she doesn't seem to really care if you love her or If she does care, she seems to kind of hate herself for that. She doesn't respect any poetic authority, um, and any that she might have some respect for, she still undercuts. She's railing against anything that can say, this is good, tick the box, you win, here's a fellowship, here's a grant, you've written a good poem, quote-unquote. She's just constantly wanting to undermine that kind of thing, it seems one of the reviewers who is quoted on the book, David Rivard, said, Davis has made herself herself, a thing few poets seem to be inclined to do these days. For that alone, I bow in her direction. And this kind of brings me to a response to the Getting Into Poetry podcast that I had from the friend of mine who suggested the idea, looking at how you get into poetry in the first place. And and in that episode, I said Robert Frost is a really uncool poet. So if you want to if you want to study somebody who has some some cool points, just maybe don't start with Frost. And he wrote he wrote back to me after the podcast came out and said, "What do you mean he's uncool?" And I realised how ridiculous that statement was because as if there's such a thing as a cool poet, as if there's such a thing as an uncool poet. I mean, come on, get a creep. Um, but yeah, I wonder if there's something in that in terms of what um, David Rivard is saying here. Few poets seem to be inclined to be themselves. Is there some kind of unspoken coolness that poetry is bending towards a lot of the time and people like Davis are pushing back against. Just as something to consider, I would invite you to have a read of Davis's post on the Poetry Foundation's blog, Harriet. This is a post called Are Poets Bad Motherfuckers and that's written in all caps, followed by about eight question marks. It was posted back in 2008, and it is it's not even a rant it's like a ramble it's like uh, a transcript of her internal monologue it's kind of amazing really in in so many ways it's amazing that in a forum like Poetry Foundation where everything's very serious and well seems to be a lot of the time she's written this piece which is all like well let me just read a little bit for you so although this isn't going to capture the mix of caps and crazy punctuation that's happening, but she says, despite my current lack of poetry um, product, I actually do feel that I did, was, am doing all those things as a poet and not as an underpaid part-time lawyer or underpaid part-time capitalist. Jesus, trying to cash in out my divorce retirement fund or even an underpaid full-time mother. Well, insert big argument with self, ex-husband here, etc. You guys have been talking about stuff that I really like, like music and people saying, God gave me a gift, motherfucker. It all suddenly just makes me want to pose the question, are poets bad motherfuckers or not? Forrest and Travis, are we living our lives differently, better, or are we just making stupid poetry moves? Good question very good question that I don't think in the eight years since that was written anyone's answered particularly well but um look all I can say is go and find yourself a copy of the poem she didn't write in other poems it's a book really worth having it will challenge you and it will it will definitely make you feel uncomfortable at times but I think that is a good thing and I think it's good to be knocked off balance regularly when it comes to poetry so back to this question then of how do you approach a new poet how do you start reading work from somebody who you've never heard of before somebody's recommended to you or you've just come across someone their work starts to speak to you and you think i want to i want to know more about this poet or i want to understand this poem better what are the the steps to take i really want to try and break this down even though this is different for everyone and everyone's got their own process this is just kind of what I do and maybe it'll be helpful to someone to to try out. So with Davis's work what I did first was I just scanned I just started with her name in Google and just started kind of traipsing through a bunch of pages a bunch of different poems on different websites reading little bits of them I was not reading complete poems at that stage I wasn't trying to look for any particular meaning I was just kind of just scanning through until something started to click with me um yeah I wasn't being precious about it at that stage and uh when I came across the poem that really did it for me I that's when I actually started to pay closer attention so the poem that did that was um was recorded for the website poets.org for their Poem a Day series um, just a couple of months ago actually on uh, 31st of May. Um, so you can hear Davis read this in her own voice and it's called I Was Minor. I don't wanna read the whole thing. I don't wanna spoil her reading for you but she does a, a really fantastic job with it. She, she, she reads it very slowly. There are these really huge pauses in her reading and as the title suggests, the theme seems to be just this idea that there are, there are major people, there are, you know, main characters and there are minor characters. And Davis seems to be sort of saying that in her own life, she was only a minor character. It's a pretty devastating statement for a poem to make. It starts out, in this life, I was very minor. I was a minor lover. There was maybe a day, a night or two when I was on. I was, would have been a minor daughter had my parents lived. I was a minor runner. I was a minor thinker in the middle distance, not too fast. And it continues like that. It's um, it's really beautiful. It's quite heartbreaking in a lot of ways. You kind of want to shout out to her and say, no, it's not true. You're great. Don't feel so bad um so yeah when when you get to this point i think when you find a poem that is actually really speaking to you that's when you need to dive in i think it's good to read read it through a couple of times at least to start off with and then the third part of the process for me at least is a bit of dismantling and by that i mean looking at the structure of the poem how are the stanzas grouped together? What decisions has the poet made in terms of how many lines per stanza? Where do the lines end? Are they all ending at a break point that would be natural in a sentence, or are they ending at, in kind of weird places, and do we need to pay attention to that? I mean, it looks, when you, when you look at a poem on a page, it, nine times out of ten, it looks like these decisions have just been made by instinct. But I guarantee you, they have been sweated over. Where am I going to break this line? And why am I doing that? So that's another thing that I look for. And then repetition is a good thing to focus on. So in this poem, I was minor. The word minor appears in not every single line, but definitely every stanza. Um, so why is that significant? Yeah, so looking for those kind of patterns. And then when you feel that you've done enough dismantling maybe deciding on some conclusions that you want to make about you know are, there, are the other line breaks in a natural place because the poet wants us to just read without worrying about line breaks and just focus on the rhythm of the language or are they in jagged places because they want us to be a little bit more off balance why is the word minor repeated like this as kind of like a chant, you know, it's kind of becoming, in a way, it's becoming major. This minor beauty, minor Buddhist, minor mother, minor thinker. There's an accumulation there. So that seems important to me. But I think the most important thing is to free yourself from any need to come to hard and fast conclusions. To let yourself come back to the poem as often as you feel like, and to let it come to you, as I guarantee it will, in your life as you're walking around, and just let it be fluid for a while, and let it speak to you in its own way. No, don't not worrying too much about what's the right answer here. What is this poet trying to say to me? I I need to translate it. There's no, there's no need to come to any conclusion, ever. Really, um, it should always be shifted, and that's one of the beautiful things about reading. With a group or with somebody else is that you get to hear their interpretations of it. So, of course, as always, if you've got interpretations of Davis's work that you want to chat about, let me know. Yeah, let me know what you think of this poem. I was minor. It's um, I think it's pretty fantastic, but there might be people out there who read it and think, "Oh God, it's dark. I don't like it." Um, so I'd love to hear that as well. So yeah. Chat to me on Twitter at PoetrySays and find more episodes at PoetrySays.com. Thanks for listening, everyone.